Today's guest is Douglas Robbins, an author, a man committed to his purpose in life. Um, he's outspoken on several subjects, and I can't wait to get to know him even better. I'm going to start with the hardest question we're going to ask you today. Is that okay, Douglas? I am ready. I am ready. All right. Eminem or Foo Fighters? Oh, Eminem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, and now the follow-up, Greg. Okay. Beatles or Stones? Uh, you know, I'm going to have to go Beatles. Stones are a great rock band, but Beatles are just all, you know, a little more widespread. Last week's guest answered that question with Foo Fighters. Oh, no. Did you cancel it after that, I hope? No. no we no. asked him at the end. That's why we're asking yeah. you at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm of the opinion that Eminem is the Bob Dylan or even in some ways the Samuel Clemens of our day. What do you think mm -hmm. of that? Uh, the loaded question. You know, the man has a lot to say. Uh, you know, a lot of it is uh, some people might write off what he's saying is homophobic or vitriol or, or, you know, anger and whatever. And obviously some of it is just a persona he's kind of perpetuating uh, as a rapper or, or an artist. But um, clearly he's a very skilled and gifted, has a skilled ear. Uh, and even Dr. Dre has said that many times about him. He rhymes things that most people would not put together. So is he Samuel Clemens? I wouldn't go that far, far perhaps, but uh, probably not as funny as uh, Samuel Clemens, um, but you know he certainly has his 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 place in uh, music history for sure. All right, you guys. And Samuel Rapp, I don't know. Is. is that the name of um, uh, Mark Twain? Yeah, uh, it just popped into my head. Yeah, yeah. Okay. all right. You got it. Yeah, you know what though? Will they be giving away Eminem awards uh, at some point instead of Mark Twain awards? Probably not. Plain or peanut? Here's the <laughs> These are important questions. <laughs> but um, I'm going to go peanut. <laughs> but here's what I'm wondering: like when Mark Twain was alive, he was obviously a celebrity. I'd say to the height that Eminem currently is. But did he have the sort of mythical element that heightens a character? Um, you know, like you look a hundred years down the road, maybe M, there is an M award because hip hop and rap has continued to thrive and be a popular yeah. soundscape to the planet. Yeah. Well, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is clearly taking a nosedive. So who, <laughs> who will kind of fill its place? Well, to me, Go-Go's getting elected. I'm sure, I don't think things have gone right. Well, yeah, but here's the thing. The Go-Go's, as far as, well, wait, they were after the Runaways. Did the Runaways write their own music? Well, I don't know. 
Because that was one of the things I heard about Go-Go's is they wrote everything, they played everything, yeah. which was very, um, wasn't often in a women's band. Mm-hmm. Wow. So we've debated music pretty well. <laughs> but here's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I think, is a great excuse for a live night of music. All those people getting together, jamming. Yeah. It's, it's true, fun. but it's really it used to be about rock and roll, and now it's more just about more inclusive pop and everybody else. But that's fine, you know. Well, as soon as they nominated, or didn't Jethro Tull win for best metal? Band? Tull, well, they won, but that wasn't the Rock and Roll Hall. Of Fame. That was you're grand. talking Grammys now, Greg. Jethro uh, Tull is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is a shame. Yeah, I think thick as a brick. I think it's a big shame, but you know, they a lot of prog rockers didn't get in. Genesis didn't get in for a long time. Um, you know, yes. Anyway. Yeah. This, is, this brings up the idea Russia, of popularity. Russia, years ago, yeah. Okay. Popularity contests and institutionalized um, popularity. Yeah. And, and I think that's relevant to the culture in the sense that people get attached to their ideas around belonging to certain groups based on cultural identity or, um, and so we have our own favorites. We have our own things that we love that are outside of that. And I'm right there with you with Jethro Tull, like Ian Anderson is a complete unique star in the bright sky of musical ideas, you know, and, uh, really, one of the greatest performers to stand on one leg ever (laughs) and didn't have to stand on one leg. Yes. All right. Well, Douglas or Doug, which do you prefer? Uh, Either is fine. I mean, Douglas is the official author name, but Doug is, you know, people call me Doug. Sometimes they call me Dougie after knowing me for five minutes. So are you related to Douglas Adams? I think it's usually the last names that are related. Oh, oh. <laughs> Tony <laughs> Robbins, you know, but no, unfortunately, T- Tony doesn't call me back. No. Oh man. So what's the closest you've been on to like a motorcycle sojourn or a moped, you know, sojourn like on the road? Well, I love the question. I was hoping we were going to talk bikes and riding. And I love the name of the show moped outlets. Cause moped doesn't really go with outlaw, <laughs> you know, a bit of a contrarian. Um, I have done many things on the road. So I'm going to give you, for instance, um, 2008, 2009, I'm in a a horrible corporate job that's just sucking my soul out of me. Every day I'm exhausted, probably suicidal, um, just run out of gas emotionally, mentally, just don't want to do it anymore. I'm just getting beat up by the company, beat up by the people I work with. Um, Now, this was during... The recession, 2008, 2009, everything's crashing. I'm making pretty good money, living in a nice apartment, etc. And I just say, like, it's either me or this job is really what it came down to. And like I said, I, I was so just worn out. I was apologizing to customers because I couldn't. There was just too much stuff on my plate. The company just gave more and more and more, just abusing people. And, you know, I said, can I curse on your show? Absolutely. All right. So I just said, fuck this. Like, I I am done. I don't care. You know, you just reach that point of no return. 
No, I'm not talking about the Kansas, the other prog rock band, um, <laughs> who I love. But so I just said, you know, like I'm done here. Like I, I quit, and and I even went in, and I felt very emboldened by this. And it was 2009 when I quit. So the market was down, jobs were scarce. Um, I had friends who like were mocking me, saying, well, "You're going to quit in this recession? Like that's crazy." And I thought to myself, like, you don't quit a job or get a job or anything because of what the economy or the recession or anything. You do what you have to do when you have to do it, period. Um, I was a single guy also, didn't have, you know, kids to worry about. And so I said, you know, I'm done. And I even went to the big boss, who was the VP of the region. Um, You know, I had hundreds, if not thousands of people under him. And I said, you guys lied to us. The job was supposed to be X and you're supposed to receive this much work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I wrote out this, this letter explaining how they're screwing people, how they're taking money away from people, et cetera. And he was so blown away that I would have the balls or the, 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 the backbone to come do this, but I had nothing to lose at this point. And I asked him for unemployment and you don't get unemployment when you quit a job. Um, and he, he didn't want me to go because I think he really respected what I was doing because he didn't know. He's so removed from what everyday people are dealing with. And so I ended up getting unemployment, which I would have, you know, either way I was done. I put all my stuff in storage, left my apartment, and just said, I'm riding. Like, <laughs> this is my answer. Like, I'm going riding. So I had uh, uh, a Suzuki V-Strom 650 at that point. And hopped on it and rode for three months and just rode. And the beauty was I was receiving unemployment while riding all over the country. I think I did 20 some odd states, 13,000 miles, um, you know, camping all over the place. And it was just an incredible time because I was free. I was still riding. I had my little computer with me. And this was one of those times it was just like you're connecting to people. I, I went out to, um, uh, to Wounded Knee. I went out to, you know, the, the Sioux Reservation. And, you know, you just bond with people. People are so fascinated by motorcycles. You know, if I was in a car, probably wouldn't have had these same interactions, wouldn't have had the same experience. But on a motorcycle, people are so drawn to you. And on the Sioux Reservation, you could, you know, I can't, I live in New York, and you would have thought New York was a million miles away. It was just such a different world and how these people are struggling. And even Wounded Knee was just this crumbling, uh, you know, structure. And the pe- people would steal from it. And, you know, heartbreaking. So to be able to do this was such a gift. And if I had been afraid and said, oh, my God, what can I do? What's going to happen on the other side of this? And, oh, my God, I'm good. You know, I'm, however old I am, 40 plus, you know. You stop living when you live by those fears because those fears will stop you from doing pretty much anything. But that was one of my big rides. I've done many smaller rides of two plus weeks. And, uh, but that ride was, you know, I, I've, you know, done the country before in a car, but I, you know, I went through Utah and Colorado and the sea, the Cascade mountains of Washington and out on the islands, the San Juan islands of Washington. And it's a gorgeous country. I mean, there is so much to see and, and, so many cultures within the country. So that was probably, you know, my, my, uh, 
my best. You know, I'm, I'm always so happy that I got to do that. Yeah, it sounds like a real American experience. Yes, sir. Yeah. And did you go further south of Washington? Did you make it down to where we are in California or not? I did go down uh, the Pacific Coast Highway. I used to live on Washington years ago, but so I rode down Oregon, uh, went out, to, uh, you know, did the Olympic Peninsula, uh, the whole rainforest and went probably down maybe to San Francisco. And then I started cutting, you know, I have cousins there and then went through um, Yosemite and Nevada and just Again, just just stunning, stunning ride. I have a question about your visit to the Sioux Nation. Yes, sir. Um, one of my friends said to me that the ghetto is poverty. The reservation is even worse. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of a quote I heard from Viola Davis. She said there's Poe, and Poe is when you're poorer than poor. You're Poe. Was yeah. that your experience with visiting the Sioux Nation? Yeah, I've, I've been to a few reservations at this point, um, and that's a different world. That's a third. Um, uh, that's a third world nation, uh, and it's by design. Um, in well, my are you opinion. saying they chose their poverty? No, no, no. I'm saying no, the oppressors designed it that way. Yes, yes. That's okay. what I'm, they did not. Not at all. Um, they were forced, obviously, physically in other ways. Um, that is that is extreme poverty of high mortality rates, uh, alcoholism, very high unemployment, um, people living in, in shacks. Again, these are systemic issues. These are systemic issues. So I have a story that I have not finished, and I'll reveal a, a piece of it to you guys. Um, so it's called Native American Thanksgiving. But it's about redemption of how a lot of people have been treated. And there's something that happens, a big event that they kind of rise up, if you will, but not in a violent battle. They're they're saying, see us, you know, see who we are. We are still here. Um, But they go, I don't want to give too much away, but they go to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, because I always wondered, what do Native Americans do on Thanksgiving? So it's actually called the Day of Mourning for many of them. And most Americans have no clue that even exists. Um, some celebrate Thanksgiving, but many it's a day of mourning because it's a reminder of basically the genocide. So long story short, these these this group goes to... Um, New York City and the Thanksgiving Day Parade to, let's say, break it up uh, because they're tired of seeing it without being acknowledged. So they're sort of bringing the history, their history into the present moment for people to see. But so you have Native Americans living on reservations, right? But the Native Americans see the ghettos as a reservation. And that's how they sort of addressed it to African-Americans that you're on your own reservation. And we was like, what are you talking about? I'm not on a reservation. He's like, that's where you live. That's what the projects are. Yeah. So I think there's, there's again, a systemic issue. Once again, creating these environments and sort of the boot uh, on the neck, if you will, of, you know, these groups. You're in total alignment with the kind of the 
I, I would say editorial viewpoint or, or the ethos behind what we do here. If you want to go back later and listen to our Thanksgiving episode, you'll get a little bit more insight as to the level of depth we go to. And yeah, you, none of what you're talking about is surprising to us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really tragic to know what was lost in terms of the potential for human evolution when the gift of indigenous cultures in the what we call North America was not fully received in the European immigration patterning. There was an opportunity for humanity to take on a whole new level of um, growth. And, and, and the opportunity is still there. We're sort of being brought around to it again now as we, we really address the way that we've treated the great mother. <clears throat> Absolutely. I want to zero in on something. When you made the decision to quit that corporate life and commit to writing, mm-hmm. how sure were you that you would survive? And did you ever consider changing your mind and going back? Well, truth be told, I did have to go back. I got married uh, to a woman with a few kids and really wasn't, I was making some money writing, not enough to sustain that. And it was a very bitter pill to swallow um, because I had to go back to the industry that I was in and did not want to, like, I would, like, my stomach would really, like, turn over. I'd start sweating. I'd get tremendously anxious about having to go back. I didn't want to hit that button to send the resume, but we were so broke um, my wife, you know, who became my wife and the kids. And it's just like, fuck, I got, I got to do this. I, I got to take one for the team, if you will. Um, we'll go back yeah. to the moment when you left the corporate job and you headed out on this road trip. Yeah. There was something in your inner, inner world, which had you fully committed to this idea of living or dying by the pen. Yes, sir. So I'm wondering how that felt and and whether you think that is a sort of axiomatic state of being for real creatives and for the the individual, you know, liberty principle overall. What is Greg? Well, I got a quick because that just that spark of creativity and risk when you quit. Do you feel that spirit is alive in your current life? Because I take it you're still employed in the industry you dreaded? Yes, but I'm trying to exit again, and we sort of have a game plan, so hopefully that will happen in the next few months. But Okay, okay. Um, you said we, so you're still a family man? Yes, she has not killed me as of yet, yes. <laughs> um, so The spark certainly gets can get a little buried. You know, with bills and grind and the routine and focusing on things that are not about me and things I don't really care about or, or, or don't want to be invested in. Um, but to get back to um, to your question also, Mark, um, is the spark. So, no. So the old line of, um, you know, survival, the, the, the artists, um, you know, survivors, like you need money. You know, like, it's just the crude reality that we live in. If you have a family, I mean, if you're 20 and maybe you can, you know, make, you know, work a couple days a week, you know, at a waiter, you know, whatever, and you have roommates and stuff, that's a very different game than if you're 40 or 50 and have a family and a mortgage. 
Um, you know, it's one thing to put yourself in jeopardy. It's another thing to put others in jeopardy. So, you know, the starving artist really is a myth because when you're starving and struggling and you can't make ends meet and you can't pay the bills and you don't have money for soup, that's not a place of creativity. That's a place of, holy shit, I'm going to be on the street soon. Uh, so creativity, you know, for me, you know, becomes secondary to I need to survive here. I need Yeah, Maslow's to- hierarchy, for sure. Exactly, exactly. So um, so that's, that's one thing, you know. Um, but does the spark also diminish a little when you sort of take on these roles that don't feel – aligned with who you are just to make a, a buck or whatever. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a battle. And, you know, uh, I think I often write about these things, the dichotomy of life of trying to live that higher self. But right now I also have to pay the bills and deal with this asshole over here or something like that. That's a battle because that seems to kind of close off or can close off that creative, um, you know, conduit. Because when you say so exhausted doing something that you don't like, like, and it grinds you up, and at the end of the day, your back's hurting, you're exhausted, your brain's tired, you just want to go sit on the couch, again, not a time for creativity. So that's a fine line, and that that's a tough battle that we all have to wage <sighs> to live a life of meaning and hold on to it. Because it's easy. The, the world will stomp that shit out if you don't hold on to it. So how do you hold on to it? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a secret. Just you two guys. All right. Everyone else, turn off the podcast now. <laughs> so, again, truth. I, I love bringing truth to the table because that's how we all bond. That's how we all grow. That's how we all connect. Um, so I had moved to New York City. This was before I was married, et cetera. Had moved to New York City, you know, all in. I'm going to make it writing. Um, I had written a book called Dawn. I didn't really know much about writing or, or how to write a manuscript. So I'd written this book called Dawn. It was sort of about young love. Uh, my mother had just passed away a year, a year or two earlier. So it was sort of an homage to her. Um, so it was about young love, this girl's mother, the, these two college kids meet. And this girl's mother is dying of cancer, and yet she falls in love with this boy. So it's sort of this dichotomy of how do you love someone when someone you you care about deeply or love is dying? And then the father is kind of manipulative. Um, So I didn't, you know, so I wrote it as best I could write it. It was a sweet story, but it needed some issues or had some issues. And I sent it out to agents and whomever else. And basically crickets, you know, wait, hurry up and wait pretty much. And didn't get what I thought was going to happen. I, you know, when you're a writer or an artist, you think somehow the sky is going to open and, you know, dubs are going to be released and nothing happens is what happens. Uh, crickets more than anything, because the first battle is writing or creating something. The second battle is getting it out into the world, which is a whole nother beast. Um, so long story short, I, I was lost. Like I, I didn't know how to deal with, res- didn't have resilience, didn't know how to deal with adversity in this kind of way. And I didn't know how to ask for help. So I was just kind of lost. I was partying, you know, pretty hard in the city and um, just lost. And, and, I, and I didn't 
And then, like, I kept hearing information about, you know, from guides and whatever, how do you make it better and how do you do this? And I said, I don't want to hear it. It's a lie. Life is a lie. The dream Mm -hmm. is a lie. Like, fuck off. I turned it off. The worst thing I could ever do was, was that because it was pain that was telling me to do that, right? Pain, fear, doubts, uh, shame. And so for a couple of years, I didn't write. No, don't want to hear it. Things would come to me. No, don't want to hear it. And again, you know, so what I learned, like, if you give up on your dreams, your law, you're left with a million choices then. I could be this. I could be that. I could be this. And they're all wrong. Because the only thing that you are here to do is to fulfill that piece of the puzzle, that gift you were sprinkled with at birth. So a couple of years go by and I start writing again because, you know, if, if you lose something, it comes back to you. Well, I guess it's yours. So started writing a piece called The Reluctant Human. And it was about that dichotomy of the pains, the doubts, the regrets. But that calling is still there. That calling is saying, hey, man, go this way. Um, and so that book is me kind of purging a lot of this out. Um, and that's what really started the writing career probably was the reluctant human, you know, got on a couple little, uh, Amazon lists and, you know, and were you able to establish a relationship with an agent at that point? You know, Mark, um, no, I actually gave up on that idea and I gave up on that idea because I, uh, sorry about the cursing again. Um, We don't give a fuck. (laughs) You know, they're just the gatekeepers and the gates are old and rusty and they're old and rusty because of self-publishing, because of this new world order uh, of self-publishing, podcasting, et cetera. Anyone can do it. You know, you don't you don't have to then be beholden to the old guard, the the, the book, the agents and the old publishing companies. And so much has changed in the publishing world in the last 10, 20 years. Um, so I basically just bypassed the agents. It's like, they're going to, first of all, when you get a book, deal, I mean, unless you're like a big, well-known person, you get scraps. Like if your book, you get 5% of sales and your agent takes 6% of that. Um, so you're talking, you have to sell a ton of books to do any revenue at all. Um, so I said, no, no, I'm just going to go, I'm going to figure out self-publishing, hire editors, hire book designers, and basically put a very professional product out there, just bypass the old guard. And how's that working? So you've skipped through that and you've created what we'll call the modern publishing, right? The new digital yeah. age of publishing. Yeah. And it seems to be working for you. You're up to, from your website, I saw six books and you talked about one that you haven't even let out in the website. So do you feel so like you're going to do this for a while? Gotten out. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Do you feel like you're going to keep doing this for a while, a long while to come? Writing? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have to. You know, I also have a podcast you guys might know about, but um, that's what I'm here for. You might disagree. Someone else down the street might disagree. Five other people might agree, but this is what I'm here for. Whatever these gifts, whatever this information, whatever, you know, uh, the seeds I have to share, that's the best I could do on this on this earth, you know. So are you saying that kind of circling back to your secret, you were only going to share with one? <laughs> yes. That your secret is you are an author, and as long as you're writing, you are living that 
place of spirit and hope? You know, yes, on a macro uh, viewpoint. On a micro viewpoint, I still, you know, have some things to clear. I still have this other job. It pays me very well. I probably only work three, four hours a day. Uh, it pays me full time. It gives me a car. It gives me this stability, you know, biweekly checks. You know, you can't beat that, right? <laughs> um, but again, at some point, if you want to swim, you got to let go of the, the wall of the swimming pool uh, and say, and trust. And that's a thing I've struggled with is faith and trust. You know, is there, um, is there, uh, you know, something to fall upon? You know, I'm 50, I'll be 52 uh, in a few, in a couple months. And no, that's a rocking chair days. Exactly. <laughs> Got back issues, you know. Um, but, you know, I think as I heal internal stuff, childhood stuff, crap that gets in my head, that, that, that chattering voice, the negative stuff, as I keep winning, I don't always win. Sometimes I lose. Um, you take those pieces back and say, no, no, this is who I am. This is who I must be. And you take that kind of higher mind point of view, and it's as clear as day from there. When you get into the muck of the trenches of emotions and thoughts and doubts and what's happened in the past or whatever it might be, that's where the brain gets trapped. But the brain doesn't know that much about your future. It doesn't know anything about that. It just knows what it's been fed. Uh, you know, so it doesn't know what's around the next bend. Is your wife an ally in your highest self? We'll put it this way, Greg. My wife kicks my ass more than I do. Um, so, yes, I mean, she she is she's always one step ahead <laughs> <laughs> First of all, um, she's a business coach. She has a planner company. Um, she has a, a marketing agency. I mean, she is balls to the walls getting shit done because she has her own vision of what life should be and what she's trying to bring to other people's lives. Um, so we're similar in that way. And, and actually, her marketing agency has been helping me a bit And because I don't know how to do a lot of things. I'm not, you know. I don't want to wear 50 hats. I'm not going to be an expert in web web design, you know, or something. Um, I want to write. You know, I always liken it to if you're a baseball player, they don't say like, all right, buddy, you're great at shortstop, but can you go sell some some brochures also and some hot dogs? And, you know, can you work in the front office also? You know, like it's too much. Yes. What I'm wondering. But, yes, my wife, it, it pushes me. Hard, yes. Does she support she you? As a, I want her best. Does she support you as an author? Is like the yeah. That's the question. Yes, 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 yeah. She she believes in what I'm doing. She wants me to do it faster and harder. Uh, and I think in the last few months, I've sort of been picking up momentum uh, because I have so many books I want to get out there. Right. Um, and that's awesome. I, I'm fifty, going to be fifty two. There's only so much time. <laughs> You might be dead tomorrow. I just so might I, be. This is a good point, I think, to ask this next question. In Love is a Dying Town, the character Jim Bowen is facing a lot of challenges internally and externally. And yeah. how much of you is in that character? But more importantly, what do you think it means to truly love? 
You're good, Mark. You're good. <laughs> um, you know, I think every character has some aspects of me, things I've gone through, things I've wondered or, or cared about. Um, and, and it's funny, my book, Narakon, the, the sci-fi book, uh, I was talking to my wife about it recently. She's like, I was like, oh, I didn't know that was, that was interesting. That's about me. She's like, Doug, everything in it is about you. Didn't you know that? Um, so, yes, I think uh, Jim Bowen uh, is about me in many ways. So often I've felt stuck because he feels stuck. He loves his daughter dearly, but he feels stuck in this town. He feels stuck in this rut. He's an ambitious guy. He's a smart guy, but he's not living to his full potential. He wants to build skyscrapers in big cities, and he lives in a dying factory town. Um, but he's doing the best he can do in the situation. Um, so there's that. And I think that's, a, like I said, I often write about that dichotomy of people feeling stuck, and they know that there's more in them than their living, than their experiences. And it's usually the emotions that do that. It's the emotions that block us from, because the emotions say, no, 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 don't trust that. Um, and we'll have ex examples as to why you shouldn't do, uh, why you shouldn't trust that higher, more powerful place. Uh, what was your question about? The other part is, in the context of that story, yeah. the, the real challenge that he's facing both internally and externally is, what does it mean to truly love? And so I'm asking you, yeah. Douglas Robbins, yeah. w one, why did that, was that part of the book? And then what is it, what are your thoughts about that? Because, of course, you're talking about your wife and your relationship. So, I mean, yeah. that's where this yeah, is coming what from. What is it to love? You know, lo love is, is obviously very broad, this elusive, you know, thing that we all crave and experience in various ways and to love let's say a child child is innocent they're dependent they rely on you for guidance for food for nourishment and i don't just mean food but i mean love you know ideas how to live um and so i think that's huge is commitment sacrifice um it's easy to be kind of a narcissist, but like, yeah, I'll take you somewhere, but I don't really want to take you there. That's not really showing love, right? And I think I used to be more like that. Yeah, I'll take you to your thing, whatever. Um, and then want to leave 10 minutes later. Come on, hurry up, kid. Um, like, that's not showing love, right? We think we're, we're fulfilling some role, but that's not doing it. Is Showing love is if the kid loves something, you say, hey, I love you enough to take you there and we'll spend as much time as we need to here because it's important to you. Um, but I think sacrifice is really a key component to love. And we can say that on a small family level and we can say that on a global um, level as far as country and people sacrificing going to war and uh, those type of scenarios or, or volunteering. Uh, I think... So obviously there are different types of love. You can love a friend, you can be in love, romantic love, and you can have a love of humanity that you're trying to help move forward. And I think that's what, what we're all trying to do here uh, is move humanity forward. But, you know, it's just about commitment is seeing someone. If you're only looking at yourself, how it's about you, then you got a problem because love isn't about you. It's about a shared experience. And, and again, building someone up, 
whomever it might be, is love. On that note, are you a father in your wife's children's life? Yes. Two of them. <laughs> so she has more than two children. She has three. So uh, the oldest one, who will remain nameless, um, you know, I've tried, but she doesn't care for me. Uh, but I also came into her life when she was 13, and, you know, it was just there was a battle, and it was just uh, I think she got wounded in there. And there was some other stuff before I came in. Um, so hopefully she'll – hopefully we'll – because we're actually very similar in many ways. Um, but so – we don't have much of a relationship. She hasn't really lived with us for years anyway. Um, she finds me annoying, which, you know, okay. If that's the worst she feels. She obviously thinks a lot deeper, but she only says that. Uh, but the other two, you know, we're, we're great. Um, another question. Yes. You had the choice while you were uh, a vagabond on your motorcycle yeah. to keep doing that. And so what was the, you could have, like, you could have just gone from town, you get a temporary job, like when the, you know, unemployment runs out. Yeah. So what was the spark of change where you decided to land? Well, I, I was dating someone at the time, uh, not, not, not my current wife, but, um, and again, I probably was more of a narcissist, like, this is what I need. And sometimes just doing what you have to do is what you have to do. Uh, in life, but you know, the girl I was dating, I think understood just like, all right, he's doing his thing, but he's coming back at some point. And, um, so I probably could have kept riding. Um, now that you mention it, hmm. <laughs> yeah, Greg always asks the tough existential questions, man. Watch out. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I, I had an incredible time. I mean, like I said, I was on, on one of the islands, uh, San Juan Islands. I don't know if you've been there, but just yeah. incredible. It's like the best kept secret in the, in the country. I mean, like very few people have even heard of it, and it's just stunning. I mean, you have whales going through there and eagles. I mean, it's just, um, you know, the, the West, as you guys, isn't hasn't been as around as long as the East. You know, the East is 400 years old or whatever it is. Uh, I mean, the West is 150, 200 years old, you know, give or take. So some of the areas aren't as built up. They don't have that the old dying infrastructure that a lot of the East has at this point. But, you know, maybe I wanted to get back to to roots, perhaps, um, you know, instead well, there's of being a leaf on the water. There's something about home and having a heart space that's shared, right? Like, I, I really really enjoy having a partner in my life. And I know Greg also has this same value system. And it seems yeah. like not this, well, you want one. <laughs> Don't listen to him. He still wants yeah. one. I know him. <laughs> but there's this, uh, this thing where that individual, like, you know, quest sort of on the road sort of vibe meets yeah. wanting to have a home yeah. And I don't think ev it's ever actually fully resolved. Like if you're out on the road, you kind of want to go home. And if you're home, you kind of want to go out on the road. Yeah. And it's just these energies, these yins and yangs sort of shifting and they can become an engine of fuel for creativity. If you allow it, if you like mm -hmm. lean in and it, I get the feeling from your storytelling 
that you're still living into that part of yourself by exploring these sorts of con- constant sort of dynamics that your your characters take up. I have a question for both of you. Is incongruent energy a con- constant in life? I don't know. It depends on how you define it. Like, well, you just said, like when you're on the road, you want a home. When you're home, you want to be out on the road. Those are incongruent energies. Well, when you look at it through the lens of the Tao, they're not incongruent. They're just. I think the, the thoughts might be incongruent. The energy, I don't think, is incongruent because it's how we're identifying what that means, right? What the definition is. You know, when we're out on the road, I don't think we want to go on the road so we never come back. I think we want to go on the road to experience and to see and to change routines because I'm sure you guys know you get into routines and jobs. Oh, it just feels like so redundant, right? And routine and you're in a rut. It feels like you get in a rut, but when you break it up patterns, so it's all about patterns, right? If you break up the pattern and go, maybe you go do something different with your loved one or whomever and you feel fresh, you feel renewed. Why? Because you're not, experiencing the same drained experience that you know all the details about uh, on a daily basis. So I think that's part of. That's right. Because you have this, isn't that a fractal in the background behind you? The The picture? Yeah. Or, or the light. No, the picture. The picture uh, is an Alex gray painting. You can only see the main thing. And it's called light worker. There's actually a being holding a light stick and uh, there's a light energy like lightning going through him. Well, cause patterns seem such a part of nature. Mm-hmm. And yep. yet what I just heard is this element of, we want to break patterns. When we get into patterns, we yep. get bored. So it's for sure. It, it speaks to me that there's this element of human nature that hasn't acquiesced. I don't know if that's the right word, but hasn't settled in yes. to the natural nature of things. Could be that we're always longing for something. Right. Yeah. Well, right. the idea that nature, well, that energy becomes stagnant is the key to that. When energy gets stagnant, that's when we get into that rut, right? Because you can be vibrant and have what appears to be from external circumstances to be very regimented, you know, regular boring life, you know, very like khaki, you know, spinach, mashed potatoes, that kind of life. But the, the reality might be internally that you're really living in an Alex Gray dreamland, like you, you're, and you're evoking things through music or art or painting or, yep. you know, lovemaking or whatever it is that are uh, transcendent and have this lit up quality to them. So th- the way I see it is that it, when when we get stuck, it's about energy's not moving anymore, and usually we've made that mean something about ourselves, yep. or we're seeking yep. a kind of safety that is neither safe. And it's sort of this diluted energy, this this energy suck, this this coagulant of, of yep. life force. If I may speak on that, absolutely. Because what do they say when you have wounds, you have a knee pain, it's stuck energy, right? That with they acupuncture, right? They get the energy flowing again. What is it when you keep having the same thoughts, the same problems? It's the same thing, energy stuck. 
you keep how many times do you repeat the same crap in your head, you know, that you've been repeating for 40 years, right? Right. It's it's not having a problem. It's having the same problem that you keep repeating, 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 and thus externally experiencing the same crap over and over and over again. Right. We're reflections. Um, we our lives are reflections of our inner world. So, but also the design of things, the design of you know you work five days a week, you work forty hours a week, you get your little weekends, you know. You go grocery shopping, you know, this is all just routines, right? And after, like, the human is an explorer by nature, right? We want to learn things. We want to find new things. We want to innovate. And if we're just kind of trapped in in um, the mundane of, oh, i got to do this thing again and again and uh, another time tomorrow. And, you know, that's why people work for the weekends, right? You're just uh, grinding through to get to the weekend because what do we how do we view the weekend the weekend is like oh it's fresh and there's possibility in the weekends and that's how the brain always works about the future especially when we're younger oh the future is going to be this and that and everything else and wonderful and clean and beautiful and happy and right because it's not trapped in emotions it's trapped in in kind of in Mm -hmm. ideals but when we live the day-to-day it's the the thoughts that we're repeating every day. It's the experiences that we're repeating every day. Um, so we need variation. That's why we want to get on the road. That's why we want to go to a new restaurant. That's you know, like we're not worker ants. Yeah. All right. I have one more prepared question, but it's a big left turn. You ready? Peanut m and I already answered that. No. <laughs> I noticed that you're extremely passionate about what's happening and the war on Ukraine. And today there's the Munich Security Conference that's about this very subject. And I'm wondering if you would speak a little bit about why you think it's important for Western powers to stand up and support the Ukrainians and what that means to you personally. You know, we and I I don't want to be crude. But America has been overrun by corporations, capitalism, and we've lost and social media and just watching some girls big butt on social media or something. It's lost its focus on what its values are. As we go down sort of the the toilet of society. Um, So. When the Ukraine war began, this was Putin once again trying to take pieces of the old Russia back. And he's already gotten three or four of them. And we did nothing, basically. Chechnya, Georgia, etc. So Ukraine and many. What, and what did we offer? We offered a ride. Right. What did Zelensky say early on? I don't need a, pardon me, a, I'm paraphrasing a fucking ride. I need ammo. He's like, I am not leaving. And so Zelensky, first of all, let's let's fast forward five years. And we did nothing. Nobody did anything. All right. All that does is galvanize Russia and authoritarian authoritarian rule, same as China who Russia and China are much more aligned these days. And so what is the, what does it say to the world? We're weak. We're spineless. Our convictions don't mean squat. 
and we're not going to do anything because we don't really believe in liberty. We say we do. But convictions only matter when you stand up for them. And when they when you stand up for them, when they're up against something, it's very easy to say, oh, yeah, I'm into freedom. I really like freedom. Yeah, great. What are you willing to do to honor that? And it's the same thing with us and our own beliefs and desires to become something. What are you willing to do to honor that? Are you just going to roll over because there's a bully down the street like Putin? And so Zelensky, charismatic, he reminded us of who we claim to be, in my opinion. So in a sense, what you're saying is that the catharsis is what actually brings forth that core element, that when we're left to the devices of TikTok or casual society, as, as we put it, we, we, that part of us that is dynamic and able to raise the blood, it becomes atrophied. And so we're at this point now where we need to stand up for that because of principle and values for the Ukrainian people. Right. And, and what I'm wondering about that is what's personal about it for you? Where does it land for you? Is there a personal connection to Ukraine or is this just this idea that the value system you have is reflected in the idea of defending Liberty wherever it's needed? Sure. There's that. I mean, there's that, but it, it, he, it hits me deep in my gut that these are people who need our help and they're asking for our help. And if not, they will fall, they will be murdered, they will be raped, they will be plundered, and it ain't going to stop there. Bullies do not stop bullying because they got the next piece. They keep going until they get everything they want and they never never fill that, that cup. So, so would you- no, I do not have any relations to Ukraine. Um, but I have you, you relations to humanity and these people. And from, in my opinion, we should be doing more. Everyone should be doing more because all we're doing is prolonging this. The longer this is prolonged, the more people die, the more suffering, etc. So do you also consider places like Tigray and Ethiopia and the Congo where these same sorts of totalitarianist capitalist fueled, um, you know, human rights abuses or crimes are committed? Do you, do you find them all equally as important? Well, I, in, in truth, I don't know as much about them. Uh, we don't see as much about them. Uh, so, but yes, I mean, there would be anytime there's a crime against humanity in such a way, you know, for, for me, it comes back to this. Like, what are we trying to do here on this earth? And what are we trying to do? Like all organizations, families, schools of fish, corporations, baseball teams, it doesn't matter what they are. They're trying to preserve and enhance. They're trying to evolve. To me, that is the whole purpose of humanity is evolving. That is the purpose of our lives to evolve, to move forward. And so, I mean, can we be everywhere at once? Of course not. We have, you know, we are limited and, you know, et cetera. But we need to bring these things to light. 
because that's how you address any wound. That's how you address any injustice is you bring it to light. And this is kind of what I'm saying is we have the toilet bowl, the cesspool of nonsense, of garbage attention, of garbage, you know, irrelevance, of taking up all of our time and attention, of looking at this social media person and that one, and she's smiling, and this person, it's crap. Like, it's just, it's me, me, me. And so to me, that's the shortcoming. Can we save everyone from every uh, wrongdoing? Of course not. Uh, we have plenty of things here that we need to address, like we were discussing Native American and African American, etc. Um, but the point is addressing it and bringing it to light. And, you know, you can blame the media, you can blame social media, um, you know. And sure, a lot of these things are just to make a buck. You know, that's media is there's so much competition. I mean, years ago, there was four stations or whatever. Now there's bazillion places where you can get quote unquote information and half of it's wrong anyway. Um, but no, I mean, I think with all things, it's important to address this because to me, our government should do more to bring truth to people. Truth is, you know, here's the thing. Sorry, I'm going to get on my little soapbox. Truth. Well, I invited you on the soapbox. Just thank to be you, clear. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, you know, you have this thing about false, uh, you know, uh, fake news, right? Fake news, fake news, fake news. Well, part of this, are you a fake news guy? No, I'm just laughing because our leader a few years ago, like that, I think he brought that term into social oh, consciousness. Leader, yes. <laughs> So it's just funny to hear all these juxtapositions. Of- yeah. But like fake news is is very dangerous, right? Because people, they've done studies. They can't tell the difference between what's fake and what's real because it's presented in the same manner. It's presented as news facts. Um, and I think that's a bit. Of, yes, Craig. I, I would just would say, though, that what I think the three of us have learned is that there are gatekeepers to media. Mm-hmm. And the history books of uh, eighth grader from 10 years ago were pretty whitewashed. And sure. so I would say we fake news has been prevalent from day one. Mm-hmm. Sure. From when Cain slew Abel. That might have been fake news even. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so there's this dichotomy here, which is we we get so wrapped up in protecting ourselves from fake news that we end up actually compromising the core values of an open, truthful exchange of ideas. And I would much rather be able to talk to my neighbor about the things that they think and believe, even if they are wrong, than to limit their capacity to express themselves because then that means that if I'm suddenly saying thing that's not approvable by the masses that I'm limited. And I think that's a foundational piece to what makes our country great. And the promise of a bigger hope for humanity is this idea that somehow we'll get smart enough to discern and be able to, you know, reason or critically think our way through, what people profligate to us. And that's really the issue. Isn't the media and the, the propagation of fact. That's not fact. It's actually the D 
funding of education. It's the, the sure. diminishment of, 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 of education in the United States and yeah. other places. You know, when you whitewash history, you're not, you know, the kids, they can't handle this. The kids can handle it just fine. The kids need to know this. They want and they know. know much of it anyway, because they can see through our bullshit. Right. So, you know, to me, if I if you grew up, <clears throat> somebody told you two plus two is five. And it, they beat it into your head thousands of times year after year, you're going to fight someone to the death. Who says two plus two is four? You say, no, no, you're an idiot. Clearly, it's two plus two is five. Everyone knows that. And so when you are now, reality is a whole other question of religion and all these other things. What happened? What didn't happen? But there are certain, certain things we can know. And when you have fake or false information that hits your narrative, hits your, your emotional narrative, you know, you know, maybe you're a, a, a white supremacist and whatever, and then you're hearing all these things that feed that. Now you're justified in your beliefs and in your actions. Hence, January 6th um, insurrection. So when you have and people believe because you're hitting their emotions, you're hitting their fears and triggers, then they're going to act because they feel justified with the information they have. I guarantee if a lot of those people had heard different information, they wouldn't have been there. And so to me, like the the biggest key is information, because that's the only thing we have to act upon, to make decisions upon. If you have the wrong narrative or the wrong information and it somehow matches your narrative that you want to believe. Then that becomes your viewpoint, even if it's totally false. Well, let's just say it. Our, Our narrative has been sculpted for 200 years. Oh, it's, always, you, it's always, but it's yeah. gotten worse lately with social media because you have any, you have, I mean, you have Russian bots, you have all sorts of influence coming from all over the place to manipulate elections and everything else. But my, my point is like, say like Fox News or CNN or whomever, I don't really care. You know, they're going to perpetuate whatever stories that suits them, right? That they feel like their audience is going to suck up and eat up the most, now, they're, they're trying to make money. I mean, they're selling drama. They're selling conflict. They're not necessarily selling things that people need to learn. Uh, and they say, oh, it's a 24-hour news cycle. Yeah, but it's the same shit you've been showing all day. So it's not really a 24-hour news cycle. It's the same crap you keep showing for 24 hours. Uh, that's not new news over 24 hours. But this is what come I come back to, is they're, they're there to make money. I get it. They're, they're there to sell something. Critical thinking is a problem because they, they don't. Most people don't seem to have a lot of it. Um, and then, to me, for me anyway, I still trust the government more than I trust corporations in general, um, because the government still has an opportunity. They're still the ones that create, you know, uh, environmental, you know, cons- laws and, and you know whatever resolutions on X Y Z. Um, you know, censorship or, or, you know, uh, the food industry, you know, you have to have certain things in place to make sure the food is in clean and, you know, doesn't have E. coli, you know? 
So I still feel like the government is the, the very important facet that can provide truth. And I'm not saying they're going to, but I'm saying they can because ultimately they are supposed to be for the people. Now, I know that's a pie-in-the-sky kind of idealist thing, but if you didn't have all the money, obviously, going into the government from corporations, and always if people were not running for re-election constantly, it's our last hope, really, to find that truth. And not to get political. I'm going to push back. I'm going to push back on that. That's fine. We, we are the last. We're the last hope because we well, are. Okay. Mark. Right. So that's we've yes. got to take re- personal responsibility yes. for our five meters of influence. Right. Sure. So I'm going to bring this all nice and neatly sure, into sure, a sure. whirlpool of love. How does all of this political sociological context inform your need to be a writer? You know, writing is an interpretation, a filter of what I see and what I experience. Um, And so I don't typically write about fancy people who are good looking and have millions of dollars and save the day or whatever, because that's bullshit. I don't care about that. I care about the blue collar guy, the alienated people, the people on the fringe, the backbone of, you know, of the world. Those are the, the people I, I care about, huh? The grit. The grit. Um, did you guys just call the common people dirt? <laughs> he did. I did. <laughs> uh, I told them fine sandpaper. We're from the dirt. We'll go back to the dirt. No, of course, look, the truth always, well, the conversation starts with us. Um, and obviously there are plenty of good corporate leaders and, and everything else. And, you know, Everything is just comprised of people. You know, corporations are not separate from people. Governments are not separate from people. They might want to separate themselves, but we are all just people. So that's what I'm saying, I think, is that conversation about moving forward is is the key of, of moving forward. Because if not, you just have these endless conflicts and endless divisions. Well, it seems like a lot of the themes that you choose in your writing have human um, aspiration and love and this idea of liberation from the yoke of capitalism and the yoke of, of stupidity. Is that really the nut for you? Is that the, the basic reason that you write is to, to be a storyteller for that part of hum- the human condition? Uh, there's nothing about capitalism per se, Um you know, not like, oh, capitalism is evil. There, are, there can be evil aspects to it. Um, you know, 100 years ago, there were no child labor laws. Yeah, I'm asking no, about your writing. You know what I mean? So my writing, though, so it's not saying, oh, something bad about capitalism, but my writing is about, again, people healing, overcoming challenges, moving forward. The, the book Narakon is about the uh, evolution of souls, so that's always a key factor in everything that kind of drives me. Beautiful. I, I just heard, I was listening to a book by um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and he had this concept, which I loved. I just heard it this morning of biologically speaking, genetically, we're very similar to a chimpanzee. 
And yet we base our intelligence on far beyond a chimpanzee, like a chimpanzee will never be able to do long division, no matter how hard someone tries to train them. But what he said is maybe what, this is what I heard at least, the emphasis we've put on that kind of academic intelligence might be a mistake in human consciousness if we are so close to a chimpanzee biologically. And when one looks at the infinity of the universe, so if the vastness of the universe is X, and we're looking at how close we are biologically to a chimpanzee, like as Y, Mm-hmm. then perhaps y plus one is fairly insignificant well right like that was it is like perhaps our human intellect has tangled us up a bit and and the emphasis we're placing on our importance is misplaced you mean in the universe is that what you mean yeah yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't put our importance <laughs> that high, but um well even then in our personal life. Yeah. Like, you know, I have three children and there's times where I question my love for them. Am I you know, yeah. it's like you were saying earlier that internal struggle of what is and what I want to be. And yeah maybe in letting go of my importance, I come more into the natural realm of the universe. Hmm. Yeah. Letting go of the ego is always a, a key factor. I think in love, the ego is not love, you know, is there anything um, that you would like to touch upon that we haven't before we end this episode? Talk more about capitalism, Mark. No, no, no. Um, no, it's been so great because you guys are just throwing a million things out there, you know. Um, and so it's great just sort of following the bouncing ball or trying to. Um, no, I mean, you know what? Again, like I always just come back to like, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? Um, to get back to the Zelensky thing, he what we're seeing is he's the best that we all aspire to be, right? He, he's showing us the way, how to be strong, you know. Um, so this is what we all need. The world needed to see that again. Instead of bickering, seeing this man saying, I'm going to stand tall here with my family and with my country. Um, again, convictions. What are our convictions as individuals and as a society? If it's okay with you both, I have a last question. I'm I'm in no rush. I took you know I took the day off anyway. So, <laughs> well, all right. Here it is. Sex Pistols or the Clash? Oh, I'm not going to say I know either of them that well. Um, That's it. It's over. Forget it. Recording stopped. <laughs>